Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At another event, this one on April 14th, 2000, about 1,200 people attended a testimonial and roasted Sandusky at the Bryce Jordan Center. Joe Paterno made a very brief appearance, saying he had to leave early because of a prior commitment. Paterno said Sandusky was... What Penn State is all about. Am I sexually attracted to yes. underage boys? It became clear to Leiter that Sandusky had formulated a consistent game plan, just as he had done as the coach for 32 years on the Penn State football staff. Leiter kept private the stories from others involved in the second mile when he conducted his interviews, making sure not to taint the case by tipping anyone off. He was the first investigator to lead a probe of Sandusky's behavior who was not affiliated with Penn State. He had no allegiance to the university or the former defensive mastermind. By late 2010, Leiter had gathered a remarkable number of accounts with similar modus operandi from young men who claimed Sandusky had forced himself on them sexually. According to these accounts, Sandusky, while projecting a saintly image to the public, was preying on the vulnerabilities of those assigned to his care. Few of them had male role models in their lives, so all of them had been elated when a man of Sandusky's stature had shown interest in them. He was a famous football coach and humanitarian who invited them into a world they had no access to before. They had the chance to meet real football players, associate with legends like Joe Paterno, and be in the mix of big-time college football. The family members of the accusers had been fooled as well. Many were single parents grateful that a man like Jerry Sandusky was helping their child, making them less likely to see the affectionate attention negatively. Leiter's investigation revealed that Sandusky had carefully observed the young men for as long as two years before he made his move. According to Leiter, he would seek targets with no adult male figures in their lives. He would lavish them with gifts and words of love and affection like they had never experienced before. He had them believing he genuinely cared for them and that they were special. Eventually, he would encourage them to join him in one-on-one workouts and other activities where they could be alone. In almost every instance, Leiter's investigation indicated, Sandusky would test them to gauge a response. If he could get away with rubbing their leg in his car on the way to an event, he would push the boundaries further. If the young men objected to the touching, Leiter reasoned, they would not get any personal attention from him again, sexual or otherwise. Those who didn't protest against the advances would remain in his good graces, some for as long as four years. And they were all afraid to tell anyone about what was going on, even their closest friends. Am I sexually attracted to underage boys? Despite Sandusky's promises two years earlier to never shower with children again, detectives would learn of another unreported allegation against Sandusky in the Lash Building shower. Penn State janitorial staff who worked there told them they witnessed what appeared to be the assault of a young child by Sandusky in a shower. 
It was on a Friday night after Penn State's football team had gone on the road for an away game. Sandusky may have believed the facility would be empty because virtually everyone associated with Penn State football traveled with the team. He apparently didn't realize janitors were still on duty. Shortly after Sandusky got there, a janitor named Jim Calhoun heard a noise in the showers of the Lash building. He found a naked Sandusky with a boy who appeared to be no more than 13 years old pinned against the wall. Shocked, Calhoun immediately went to look for his co-worker, Ronald Petrosky. Before he could find him, Petrosky arrived. Under the partition, he could see two sets of feet, one of an adult, another of a child. He waited for a few minutes for them to finish showering. Then Sandusky, a man he recognized, walked out hand in hand with a young child. Both were carrying gym bags and had wet hair. He said Sandusky acknowledged him with a good evening. A few minutes later, Calhoun finally found Petrosky and told him he had seen Sandusky naked in the shower, holding the boy up against the wall and licking him. Calhoun had fought in the Korean War and had seen people with their guts blown out, arms dismembered. Now he told Petrosky, I just witnessed something in there I'll never forget. He also said he watched Sandusky perform oral sex on the child. Paterno said Sandusky was what Penn State is all about. The Cows, Gusty Renegade and Justice in for another broadcast. It has been laborsome already. Um, we were delayed in getting the broadcast started. There were massive difficulties uh, with the talk shoe line. Those difficulties are ongoing. Uh, if you know folks that are interested, if you would like to assist the Cows radio broadcast effort, uh, you can let folks know, post on your Facebook, Twitter, any other social media outlets. Uh, and let people know that the talk shoe line is not working. I tried repeatedly, even tried during the introduction uh, to the program to get it up and rolling, and it's just, it is not functioning at all. Um, I've dialed in, other folks you can try dialing in as well, but I, dry, uh, I dialed in <clears throat> repeatedly, and it just wouldn't load, so that line is not working. I've said consistently the better line to call is the free HD line, so if you uh, want to dial in, if you have questions, or if you just want to listen, uh, your only option for right now is the free HD line. Uh, I'll give out that number repeatedly, but if you want to help, you can let people know. Put it on your Facebook if you think it would be important uh, for non-white people to get more information about what happened at Penn State uh, pedophilia, Jerry Sandusky situation. Uh, you can let folks know if they want to listen in live. The number to dial is 760-569-7676, and the code is 564-943-POUND. I'll give it out repeatedly as we go, 760-569-7676, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Uh, you can just post a number with the code when you share information for the program, if you choose to do so, to let people know that for this program, they got to dial that line if they want to uh, ask questions participate the the talk shoe line is just being difficult as usual at any rate uh the program for today uh our guest he was with us uh in December of 2011 uh we were discussing his biography 
on serial killer cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer, who was also a child molester. And he told us uh, way back then uh, that he was also at that time working on a book on what was happening uh, at Penn State. And at the time, it was very new. The allegations that had just become a major national and international story just a few weeks ago. And so we kind of talked about both uh, heinous crimes uh, and similarities, kind of a comparison contrast. And I see a lot of similarities between these two cases, unfortunately. I uh, told him then that we would appreciate the opportunity to have him back on the program once the new project uh, was finished up. Uh, it is complete. It's been out for a few weeks now. He's done over 100 interviews already uh, discussing the material. And this is an ongoing story now that we have the conviction of Sandusky. He is appealing the case and the additional court cases that are going to be coming up for other Penn State officials uh, who were involved in this case, uh, former Vice President uh, Mr. Schultz, uh, Athletic Director uh, Mr. Tim Curry, uh, their cases coming up as well. Could be some felony uh, charges uh, out of all this ongoing saga at Happy Valley. Uh, the latest book on this scandal he co-authored with Bob Mouché. Bob, excuse me, Bill, Bill, Bill Mouché. Uh, real pleasure to have him back with us on the program. Longtime award-winning journalist, uh, our guest, Mr. Bob Dvorak. Mr. Dvorak, are you with us? Yes, I am, Gus. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good to be here. Outstanding. Um, glad to have you back and to uh, discuss this really uh, heinous material, I guess the best way to put it. Um, I'll give out the number again as we roll if people want to dial in with questions. One quote I did want to get in really quick before you tell our listeners, in case this is their first time hearing from you, just a little bit more background information about who you are and what you do. A quote from the book, since we were talking about this yesterday, uh, you all quoted uh, Rick Santorum, a uh, former presidential candidate this year, and he said that it is easier to develop a child than to rehabilitate an adult. And I thought that was a great quote, regardless of how you feel about Santorum's uh, politics and what have you and what he's what he's for, what he's against, or what have you. I just That is a fantastic quote, and it goes right in line with what we were talking about yesterday. It is easier to develop a child than to rehabilitate an adult. Excellent quote in the book, Game Over. Uh, Mr. Dvorak, if you want to share a little information about who you are, the work you do for folks, this might be their first time hearing from you. Oh, okay. Um, yes, uh, I was a journalist uh, for 44 years, uh, and uh, I worked uh, in New York City for the Associated Press as a national writer. I've covered such stories as uh, Desert Storm as a combat uh, pool correspondent with the 82nd Airborne. Um, I did stories on um, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, I've been back in Pittsburgh, uh, my home now, uh, for the last uh, 15, 16 years. Uh, I worked at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, um, covered a variety of uh, stories, uh, but uh, mainly uh, working in, in sports, uh, covering some baseball, um, Super Bowls, Stanley Cup Finals, that sort of thing. But uh, I've, uh, uh, at 62 years old, I've uh, been in the business for 44 years and uh, been around the world uh, doing stories. Wow. Wow. As I said, real pleasure to have you back on the program to discuss this material. Um, I guess at the outset of the program, um, you have done a biography on Dahmer. You've done this work as well. Uh, investigative reporting, I would say. 
um, in the coverage that I've seen uh, from way back the end of 2011 when this became, you know, a major controversy on through now the convictions and what's going on at Penn State with the investigations as to what uh, officials knew and if they were making an effort to cover up the misdeeds of Mr. Sandusky. I haven't really heard people talk about Sandusky uh, in the same way that they talked about Jeffrey Dahmer. And I see a lot of similarities. We talked about some of those similarities uh, when you were on the program back in December. But as I was reading the new book, uh, and I went back and I listened to our previous broadcast, and you were saying we were talking about Dahmer. How did he get away with this for so long? Uh, he was getting stopped by enforcement officers. They were letting him go. He was getting stopped by enforcement officers with a body in the vehicle. They let him go. They walked a victim back to him. How does he keep getting away with this? And you were saying that, hey, if you are charming, particularly if you're a white person, if you're charming and you have a way with words, you have a really good chance of talking your way out of something. And I see so many similarities with Jerry Sandusky, powerful white person, major uh, institution, Penn State, easy to get out of things when you're in that sort of position. Can you kind of talk about those similarities between the two? Uh, yes, Gus, an excellent question, because uh, you know, one of the most disturbing parts of this whole story is um, a, a person that puts on this disguise, uh, projects this outer image, this, you know, uh, just a charming, uh, uh, non-threatening type of personality. If someone, if they were sitting in a room with you, you would probably barely even notice them. Uh, that, that's how non-threatening they are. Uh, and yet uh, this disguise hides, uh, masks this uh, t horrible, horrible uh, I inside that, uh, th where they're capable of committing these uh, uh, incredible, heinous crimes. Uh, you know, we, we talked, I think, um, once before about similarities. And, um, you know, a, a serial killer will take, the, take your body, will murder your body. A serial sexual predator, a pedophile, will murder your soul. Uh, it's it's a crime that doesn't happen just once. It's something that um, the victim would have to live with their entire life. And and I think in the case of Jerry Sandusky, and it's maybe for people outside of Pennsylvania, it's hard to realize how big a, a figure this man really was. I mean, it was at Penn State, the flagship university in the state of Pennsylvania, defensive coordinator of a, of a program that won two national titles and the defense was uh, critical in both of those victories. So, you know, he's elevated to that status, unfortunately, in our society where sports figures are put on a pedestal, but he's also started this charity. Um, and, and what, what better disguise can you have? Uh, it, it has a biblical name, the second mile. Uh, uh, if uh, I ask you to go one mile, you go two, the second mile, that sort of thing. It's considered the male Mother Teresa of central Pennsylvania. His charity was so nationally known that uh, George Bush, the elder, uh, included it in one of his thousand points of light. Um, so it's joined at the hip with a prestigious university. He's doing good, and everybody looks at him and says, look, these underprivileged kids, he's helping them out. And, and lo and behold, we find out that it was just a, a mask for uh, – for, for an evil undertaking that's almost uh, too evil to comprehend, um, it's uh, uh, you know it's 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 one of those things where uh, you have the perfect disguise, uh, 
Uh, and Jerry Sandusky, in his own words, called himself the great pretender. He always wondered what he was pretending to be, what he, what he really was, and uh, you know what he was trying to uh, uh, protect uh, uh, people from finding out. And now we know with this guilty verdict that it was uh, it was the face of a monster. In my opinion, not unlike uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, who also was uh, convicted of child molestation. A lot of similarities. Um, oh, I was going to I was going to add one other thing, and and this relates to the people who were affected most, the the victims. Where uh, in in both Jeffrey Dahmer's case and in Jerry Sandusky's case, the young men involved were at the fringes of society. They're they're invisible, really, to mainstream societies. Oh, yeah, they're from the wrong side of the tracks, or they have a single-parent household, or, you know, they really don't have a father, they don't have all the things. So we tend not to notice them uh, because we live in our own little cocoons um, where, you know, uh, we want everything to be as we see it in our little worlds, and those on the fringes we tend to just not even pay attention to, just ignore. And Look, we ignore them at our peril. These are still you know, viable, uh, worthwhile human beings. Uh, we just tended to look beyond them and and look at the things that happened at Penn State and how many how many people at Penn State didn't recognize these children uh, who thought about their own self interest but never once worried about the interests of the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely, uh, which is ongoing. I want to talk about some of the, the more current information. Your book came out a few months ago before even the convictions and uh, obviously the email disclosures that have come out in the past couple of weeks uh, yes. about you know what former uh, Vice President and uh, Joe Paterno, uh, Tim Curry, who was the former athletic director at the time, what these folks knew, when they knew it, were they making an effort to conceal this information? We definitely want to get your thoughts on that as well. Um, but just a few more of the, the comparisons and contrasts, what I thought was a really important point, I've repeated it so many times when we were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, and it's it's blatant here. I could just switch and use Jerry Sandusky from now on. Uh, you talk about how both of these individuals had an acute and refined ability to pick out the vulnerable and the weak, as you just said, people that would be considered on the fringes of society, folks that are invisible. Nobody really cares. Nope. Nobody who will be missed, to quote Pulp Fiction. Uh, can you talk about that that radar that they had and being able to kind of pick out victims, folks that they knew they would be able to manipulate? Uh, yes, Gus, and I, I would call it an, an uncanny sixth sense, uh, something that they have that they can recognize something in somebody else. And maybe uh, my own personal theory is because it existed in them in themselves to begin with. So they're they're in tune with that, sort of like, oh, uh, I can tell by uh, the way a person looks or the way a person reacts, a smile. Uh, you could cast down the eyes when you say something or do something, or you know, you might touch them uh, inappropriately, or it might seem playful, it might seem inappropriate. You don't know, but you know, when there's no reaction to say stop, well, then you keep going and. And the uh, the ability to lure people in—it's called a grooming process—where you start out here. 
here, kid, you don't have any clothes. Here's a nice free shirt. Here's a here's a football jersey signed by LeVar Arrington, one of the great stars in the country. How about a nice pair of Nike shoes, just like the players wear? Oh, you want to come to a Penn State game? I'll do, do better than that. Come to a practice. Stay with us at the team uh, hotel the night before. Come to dinner. Meet all the coaches. We'll go on bowl trips. We'll go out of town. You can fly with me as a member of my traveling party. It was uh, uh, it, He was granting access to a kingdom that is almost a secular religion. And, uh, you know, once uh, – who, who could resist this? What – what adolescent uh, young man would be able to say, oh, well, no, I don't want to go to Texas to a bowl game? Uh, of course they would. And he just he just brought them in and lured them in, and then once they were in, then the betrayal happens, and it's, it's so subtle that the kids didn't even know how to handle it. Well, one, because they were completely kids, and they were uh, so confused by the uh, – uh, by what was happening to them, had no idea that uh, grown men acted this way. Man, I, I can only remind non-white people we're doing a lot of programs uh, during the month of July that are going to be around sexual abuse issues. Uh, talking about the recent piece that was in the New York Times magazine on prep school predators, what uh, has been taking place at Horace Mann uh, with children being molested by teachers, very similar. Uh, we'll be doing a lot of programs around this issue, and one thing that I can say related really to any form of abuse, uh, particularly sexual, but really any form of abuse, uh, when you are around a predator and they see that there is no resistance to their initial acts of abuse and mistreatment, it tends to escalate. Uh, that generally tends to be the case. You really got to make an effort to stick up for yourself, really do as much as you can, and with your children, to let them know, to speak up, to get help, to let you know, do as much as you can, because when you don't say anything and you allow that abuse to get started, it tends to escalate and just get worse and worse and worse, where they just say, I'm going to see how far I can take it. I'm going to do as much as they will allow me to do. That tends to be the way that predators work, and I think you can see that play out with both Dahmer and Sandusky. Uh, they I mean, they are just going to prey on folks as long as they have the ability to do so. And, and I use the analogy too, Gus. If you know, when you think about the, uh, let's say, the Great Plains in Africa, uh, where do the lions and the predators hang out? At the watering holes where the prey gathers. Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's so obvious to say law enforcement officials who have investigated these types of behaviors and these types of cases. Uh, You'll find that uh, a serial sexual predator is often a volunteer, uh, works with youth, uh, works with the junior hockey uh, programs in Canada or basketball players at Syracuse University or, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, works with kids in the Catholic Church. Um, they, they work themselves in. They have this camouflage that they put on the wolf in sheep's clothing and they can sense which one of these kids may be a potential victim. Maybe they could do some uh, um, some activity with. And you're absolutely right. Once they get their foot in the door and see something that they can take to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, uh, it's uh, it, it's chilling in its efficiency. It really is. Mm. Wow. 
the cow context of white supremacy. Uh, I'll let folks know some of those sound clips that you heard at the beginning. Uh, that was from the audio book of Game Over. Uh, you can actually get the uh, the paper copy, or you can get the audio book Game Over, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, and the Culture of Silence. But that was from the actual book, uh, the clip where uh, they were going into detail, talking about Jerry Sandusky's grooming process for his victims. I mean, and you talk about a chilling and efficient predator. Two years, it said, two years of waiting, observing, to pick out your prey. Chilling. Um, one other uh, thing I did want to tell you, and you just commented on it in terms of the lions. They hang out at the watering hole. Uh, you know where your victims are going to be at. Uh, we have been talking about this issue quite a bit. Uh, in fact, last Sunday when we had uh, our guest on, Cisco Streetlove, he's the author of Yesterday's Shame. Uh, he wrote about the Atlanta child murders, and he also talked about uh, Larry King, uh, who was also uh, rumored to be uh, involved in child molestation, pedophilia, and he it Jerry Sandusky's case all over again. He had a foundation that he worked with, Boys Town, where he brought in these young children uh, and just had his pick of the litter, could go through and, and take these boys. So many similarities. He would give them gifts or drugs or what have you uh, to take advantage of these folks who were in a very vulnerable position. And it just seems like I'm seeing more and more cases that look similar to that, even what happened at uh, Syracuse uh, with Coach Bernie Fine, uh, where he was rumored to be doing the same thing. And that story, I think, broke around the same time as what happened at Penn State. Um, can you kind of talk about some of these incidents where you have predators who are setting up foundations just for the purpose of molesting children? Right, and it's called it's sort of like a pedophilia pipeline. Uh, once you have this system set up, you're bringing the kids to you. Uh, you set up a charity, a foundation, an activity, a summer camp, camp counselor, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, and once you get rolling, you have certain people who you are directly involved with as you are grooming future prospective uh, victims. So, uh, you know, it's, it's like uh, uh, almost an assembly line. It's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's so chilling and, and because they're not only working now, they're thinking two, three, four years into the future because once, once these young people reach a certain age, they're no longer appealing to the pedophile predator. Uh, you know, you use them up for whatever they are. They get older, uh, so you just abandon them, uh, leave them, uh, say, okay, you're on your own. While you've you've already uh, got the uh, you've recruited the next class, and and it's it's constantly working. You say, how can somebody be have that much energy? How could you work that? It's it's uh, a, another element to this case. And I I would say, well, I want to tell you this right up front. I commend you for. Your work, and you mentioned you talking about this with some other programs and everything. I commend you for bringing this to light because I know it's unpleasant. It was unpleasant for me to write. I felt so creepy just getting into this material. But this kind of stuff happens, thrives in uh, the darkness, uh, in silence. And people will say, oh, that's too terrible. I don't want to contemplate that. That just enables these people to continue doing what they're doing. Unless you put your foot down and say, "Wait a minute, let's confront this. Let's take a let's take a real critical look. What are our policies? What are our programs? What are some of these people behaving like?" 
you mentioned, uh, you know, the Syracuse thing that came to light after these allegations at Penn State, Jerry Sandusky's arrest. People finally had the courage uh, to say, "Wait a minute, you know what? Uh, this is in the news now. Something like this happened to me, and I want, I, and I need to, I need to get it off my chest. I need to come forward." The dedication in our book, Game Over, is it's dedicated to the young men who had the courage to come forward and their advocates, and they now know that they're not alone. Uh, the, the worst thing about this type of crime, when it happens to you, is say, well, i got to live with this. It's, it's my shame. I'm so embarrassed I can, never get, I can never come forward. Now they all know that it just didn't happen to them. It didn't happen because it wasn't their fault. It was that they ran into just a, a real top-of-the-line predator. Absolutely, absolutely, top-of-the-line predator. Um, I Also, I want to make sure I, I say that as well. Even reading the book, um, it reminded me of uh, Judith Reisman, Dr. Judith Reisman. She was a guest on the program in 2010, and a term that she coined, erototoxins. Uh, where she talked about uh, when you're in an environment that is saturated with a lot of deviant sexual images or sexual ideas, uh, when that your environment has these concepts that it ends up having contaminating your thinking. Uh, and she talked about how even a lot of agents who deal with uh, child pornography and, and trying to bust child pedophile rings and that sort of things. Uh, that they have to get counseling and therapy because just being exposed to that material, uh, it can have a really corrosive impact. And just hearing uh, some of the uh, the account that at the, from the beginning, that's also from the book Game Over, where the janitor is talking about seeing him in a shower with a young child and licking him and performing oral sex. I mean, this stuff is extremely unpleasant uh, to read about, to hear about, but exactly what you said when you – Keep these sort of secrets. You are enabling it to thrive. Uh, I think one of the ma- one of the quotes that you had in the book. Uh, I think it's pretty popular. When uh, what allows evil to flourish? I'm paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. What allows evil to flourish is when quote unquote good men do nothing. And I think you had. Ton- well, actually, I can't even really say that. I think in this case, you didn't have good men doing nothing. You had people who were making willful decisions to conceal information. Uh, for whatever reasons, whatever their motivations, they didn't just do nothing. They decided we are going to willfully conceal what Jerry Sandusky is doing with these children. These are men, well-educated men, pillars of society, uh, capable of running a multi-billion-dollar corporation, which a major university like Penn State is, and yet they made some of the worst decisions that you could possibly make. I've said this repeatedly, Gus, that... This book, Game Over, is a cautionary tale for every college administrator, for every college football coach, for every camp counselor, for anybody who runs a charity, a foundation. This is a cautionary tale because if if it can happen at Penn State, this could happen anywhere. And you know, now's the time to take stock. You know, what's what? What? How are we thinking here? We run a we run an institution of higher education where we encourage the exchange of ideas and independent thought, and yet when we get together and decide things, we close this ring and uh, we decide to do something that's just so blatantly 
blatantly wrong. It just you say, how in the world could could any educated people make these decisions and allow this to go on for so long? That's what makes it so heartbreaking. Context of white supremacy again. Our guest Robert Dvorak, uh, the book Game Over. Um, I also I think this is really important, and we talked about this two days ago, right in line with what we've been uh, discussing. Um, that I think for a lot of people it becomes difficult to understand, uh, and it's Jeffrey Dahmer, Jerry Sandusky. It becomes difficult to understand. Well, these people were engaged in sexual intercourse uh, with children. Um, how does that how does that happen? And it just they have a difficult time comprehending. And I think you make this point for these predators. The sex is not about affection or compassion, uh, love, any sort of, of affirming of humanity. It is about control. It is about domination over another person. And I think that is huge to not get confused and seeing these as normal sexual acts. This is about a form of domination over another individual. Can you touch on that? Power and control. Absolutely. Where you impose your will on somebody else. There's some inadequate inadequacy that's so deep inside. The only way that you can try to claw out of that hole is to impose your will on someone else. And you do that by imposing it on the most vulnerable in society. And you think about that. It's... You're absolutely right. No 10-year-old, 12-year-old young man can make a, a decision about something like this on his own. It's not – I really say it's not child abuse. It's child rape, and that's one of, the, one of the worst things you can do is force yourself on somebody else, and they're so confused by what's going on that they don't maybe comprehend immediately that that was wrong it's only later when you start to live in the real world and you say, well, that's not how normal people operate, that it finally dawns on you that you've been used, abused, uh, manipulated, just uh, robbed of so many things in your life by someone who was pretending to be your beneficiary, your your benefactor, your father figure, uh, someone who said he loved you, but yet was just setting you up to use you as if you were, you know, just a, a, a piece of meat. As you said, tossing these victims away, these children, tossing them away once they got older, once they reach a certain age, eh, not interested in you anymore. Got a fresh crop of victims that I have been grooming to take your place. And it reminds me of the broadcast we had uh, last Sunday with Sylvia Coleman, uh, her book, Creating a New a new Normal. Uh, she also was a victim of child molestation, and she has a great website for victims to get help and resources. And she was saying, uh, really directed at parents, you cannot expect a child who is a victim in this situation, you cannot expect them to tell you that they've been abused. She said, really, the expectation is that they are not going to talk about this. They're going to feel shame. They're going to feel guilty. They're going to be extremely confused uh, about what happened. They might even blame themselves. It's not going to be something that they are going to just run and tell you. You just got to assume that that's going to be the case. So for a lot of people, they end up not talking about it at all. I think you have anecdotes in the book where you talk about some of the victims. Uh, they had suppressed memories of what 
Sandusky had done to them. They just had kind of a blur uh, when they got older about some sort of, of contact that made them uncomfortable. And it, it seemed like they were even having difficulties kind of going back to try to remember that experience. You know, that, and it goes once again, it goes back to that power and control theory. He, he knew these kids weren't going to rat him out. Who was going to believe them? Who's going to take their word against the word of Jerry Sandusky, the mother Teresa of central Pennsylvania? And they use that knowledge to their, to, to their own benefit. You know, it, 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 again, it, it's quite scary. Now, uh, as, as came out during the trial, uh, you know, uh, uh, a sexual predator not only grooms his victim, he grooms the, the family, the mother. You know, he said, look, I'll, I'll be taking little Johnny over to my house. He can stay over. He can sleep for the weekend. He'll he'll rub elbows with my adopted kids, so he'll he'll be in a structured family setting for a while. And, uh, again, it just, he, he, he just, just uses that. And some of these kids did try to tell their mothers and say, look, Something you know, I don't I don't know how to say this. Uh, can, can I look up sexual weirdos on the internet? And the mother's saying, "Well, why? What's going on?" And the mothers are actually encouraging their their sons to go go ahead, stay Jer- over Jerry's. You'll be better off over there. You'll have a nice weekend. Go to the game, without knowing without knowing that they were condemning their own sons to future abuse. It's uh, it's diabolical in my mind. I concur. I concur. Um, For folks, I guess, if they didn't look at the details uh, of the case, if they just kind of heard bits and pieces, and they may not know how long this was going on uh, in terms of when I said before that I can't even say that individuals like Joe Paterno, uh, former coach who passed away since uh, all this came out, uh, and the former uh, athletic director, uh, Tim Curley, uh, former uh, vice uh, president, uh, Mr. Schultz, that these people, they willfully, consciously, deliberately chose not to go to the proper authorities, inform enforcement officers about what they knew Sandusky was engaged in, uh, to kind of go back um, before even the the shower incident where uh, McCurry, where he comes out and, and, and said, hey, I, I saw this going on in the shower, uh, this is incorrect. You know, something something needs to be done about this when he goes to tell Joe Paterno the previous incident where he gets caught in the shower, uh, where they become informed, hey, there there's things being whispered about Jerry Sandusky and they don't choose to do the correct thing. Can you kind of give some more of the background information about these earlier incidents? Yes, I'd be happy to. And and the the one we know about for sure that happened was in 1998. Look at the calendar. I mean, this goes back 13 years, uh, and it, it just it makes you sick to your stomach when you think about that it went over this period of time. Now, we do have information that there were earlier cases uh, that are still being investigated, but we know for sure uh, that uh, Penn State campus police were informed in 1998 an uh, irate mother calls them and says, I want this man arrested. My son came home. They went to work out at Penn State, and he's got wet hair. He said he took a shower with Jerry Sandusky. Who takes a shower with, a, with an 11-year-old boy? What 55-year-old man does that? So the police investigated. This investigation produced a 95-page report, 
and um, uh, detectives from the campus police whose duties are to protect the grounds of the university, correct? You know, maybe the uh, 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 drunken uh, people at a party or, you know, uh, those kinds of things. Well, um, they set up a sting operation with Jerry Sandusky and the mother, where they the, the mother confronts Jerry Sandusky about this, and uh, she doesn't let him off the hook. My son has wet hair. He came home, said he took a shower with you. What do you have to say for yourself? I want you arrested. And he says, I was wrong. I wish I were dead. And the police heard him say that. Now, campus police don't have the ability to prosecute. That has to be a district attorney, which in this case was Center County. The Center County district attorney took a look at it, and without consulting anybody on his staff, and he had a sex crimes unit in his district attorney's office, he unilaterally decided not to pursue that uh, as a criminal charge. So basically, it just went away. Although child welfare agencies were called in and and they looked into it, but they were not given total access to everything in that investigation. That the the invest the the, the welfare uh, uh, officer said, I had no idea that he said I was wrong and I wish I were dead. I mean, that's a red flag for somebody like that. So this incident happens. And the university kind of breathes a sigh of relief and says, okay, well, there was no crime here, so we'll just, uh, we'll just sweep this under the rug or keep it in internal. Uh, it won't go anywhere. It'll stay in our files. And that was the beginning. That's when you make a decision. Well, maybe it was too horrible to confront. Well, we don't want anything to tarnish our reputation uh, we, you know, we just keep whatever happens at Penn State stays at Penn State. That was in 1998. A year later, Jerry Sandusky retires. When Joe Paterno tells him he's not going to get the head coaching job, he decides to retire to take advantage of a retirement program through the state of Pennsylvania. That's the cover story. But, I mean, just connect the dots on that and look at the time element. Does that sound right to you? And when he retires after 31 years and two national championships, there's not a big press conference. They announce it in a news release, and, you know, Paterno issues a written statement, but he's not even there, you know, to to, to praise the guy like you would when he's at the peak of his uh, coaching ability, peak of his coaching career. He'd be a prime candidate for a, a, a big-time job at any university. He just decides to retire and says, I'm going to spend more time with my charity. I'm going to spend more time with my boys, and uh, and, it, and it just it just went away. It just uh, was was uh, uh, swept under the rug until this other incident happens in 2001. Now you got now there's two things that they know about, and it's not a yellow caution light anymore. This is flashing red light stuff with klaxons going off. And again, they decided they made some really, really poor decisions. And as you mentioned, conscious decisions, deliberate decisions not to pursue it any further. Mm. Just that I hope people are aware. I believe in 1998, district attorney that chose not to prosecute uh, Mr. Sandusky, that would be Ray Greekar. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And I'll pick up the story there. Uh, Ray Grickar 
uh, five years later, uh, and, uh, is, is a missing person, and uh, they found his car uh, an hour from his uh, home base. Uh, they found his computer in the Susquehanna River upstream from where the car was, and computers don't swim upstream. The hard drive was removed, and Ray Grickar has been declared legally dead. Now, this will be forever a mystery. What did, why did Ray Grickar not decide, decide not to prosecute? Was there any pressure put on him? Although we have talked to any number of individuals who uh, uh, also looked into this and, and don't see a connection, but how are you ever going to know? And you know, it's just one of those elements to this case you know, it, it it shows you how isolated central Pennsylvania is, how isolated Penn State is. You know, there's an old story that Penn State's located in the middle of a valley, in the middle of the state, in the middle of nowhere. That's just not geographically. I mean, that's how people think there. Wow. Wow. One of the, um, the Philadelphia Inquiry, they had some great, uh, articles, a whole timeline. You can check it out and kind of go back and get the whole history of, of what's been going on around this case. And some of the emails that have come out since the conviction and talking about, that's why I'm saying pretty confidently. I'm not using any, uh, well, maybe they could have perhaps. No, I think the evidence is pretty clear. This was willful, deliberate act to conceal criminal behavior. Uh, and I hope some of these people go to jail. I hope there's some felonies and you have some powerful white people ending up going to jail behind this. Um, some of the questions that they ask, and I think you were hinting at this already, Jerry Sandusky's retirement, um, they were saying, do we think it's possible that Joe Paterno, uh, former Vice President Gary Schultz, that they just came together and said, you know what, uh, we don't want you know any major crimes around this, we don't want to deal with this, we'll just have him, quote unquote, retire voluntarily, nice send off, he keeps his benefits, he can still have access to the facilities, and we'll be done with all that. Do we think it's possible that this could have happened, them finding out about these allegations of sexual misconduct. Do you think it's possible that's what could have happened? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I, I think you, we ask people to, you know, uh, we uh, read the book and make up your own mind. When you start connecting the dots, as Bill and I did through our investigation, uh, you know, you're, you're confronted with these list of facts uh, opposed to what the cover stories and the official explanations were. And I caution people, Gus, to, to 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 be aware this investigation isn't over. This trial was proved the criminality of Jerry Sandusky, but there's a criminal investigation still ongoing and a federal investigation still ongoing. Um, um, two Penn State officials are charged with perjury for lying to the grand jury about what they knew. But uh, it, it seems quite apparent to me that there are going to be more charges filed uh, probably against more people and the felony charges endangering the welfare of a child by their inaction, by choosing to take this course that they chose. Uh, and you mentioned the emails. It's fr from what I've seen, from what I've been able to ascertain, uh, that's exactly what happened. Um, you, that's endangering the, the welfare of a child because it allowed this man, Jerry Sandusky, the monster pedophile, to continue to prey upon young people for years and years and years and years. Uh, again, painful and heartbreaking, uh, 
but it has to be confronted. There's going to be more criminal charges filed. There's, this is not it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, this is just one phase that's over. This story is going to go on and on and on, unfortunately, because it's uh, it, it's it, 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 it just drags so many people down into the pit. But that's, you know, how many times have we seen it? A crime, as bad as it is, is compounded and exacerbated by a culture of silence, a cover-up, or whatever. The cover-up makes it so much worse. And uh, this, uh, th- there's a uh, report probably due out this month that was uh, conducted by former FBI Director Louis Free. Uh, it was uh, 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 impaneled by Penn State itself. So, look, we want to get to the bottom of it. The Board of Trustees says we need to find out the truth here, go ahead. You have permission. Go through all our emails. Go through all our files, and you tell us what happened because we need to know if we're ever going to correct this and get our university back. So that's due out this month, and I would expect some some real bombshells in that one. Some aspects of that report, uh, Louis Free, former director at the FBI, he's doing this investigation. Some aspects of that have already come out with the emails that CNN has reported and other folks. Uh, also a report, this was just in the last 24 hours, where they were saying that uh, they're seeing more evidence of this environment of silence and being very insular, meaning uh, things that happen at Penn State stay at Penn State. Uh, we're not disclosing things to outside sources. Uh, and he was just citing an incident. This didn't really have anything to do directly with Jerry Sandusky, but some Penn State football players getting in trouble, being involved in some sort of altercation uh, on campus. And Joe Paterno ultimately had the decision with regards to what disciplinary action was going to be taken. It was taken out of the hands of Penn State officials, uh, vice president, president, all that. It ended up being Joe Paterno who had the final say as to what disciplinary action was going to be taken. And I think he made the uh, football players clean the stadium and they got a suspension uh, for the summer term, not anything during the regular academic term, not anything that would require them to miss uh, regular season games, but they got some sort of light suspension. And they were saying that this fits the pattern of Joe Paterno being ultimately in charge of what's going to happen, particularly with anything related to football players and or football staff not being in the hands of university officials and how that can create an environment where somebody like Jerry Sandusky can have free reign to do whatever they want, and it'll end up being Joe Paterno making a decision about what's going to happen with this case. You're you're right on it. You're right on point that Joe created an environment where he was the emperor. He ran the show. This was his thing. Somebody got out of line, you bring it to me. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll be the judge, jury, and uh, you know the executioner and these things. Well, that's fine, Joe, but sometimes you're making a determination – it's not your call. Uh, you're not. You don't have a badge. You don't carry an investigator's uh, uh, identification. Uh, who are you to determine what's right or wrong? And he created an environment that allowed this kind of thing to happen. People say, "Well, wh- what did he do that was so bad?" He he reported it to his superiors. Uh, he uh, he did what he had to under the law. Yes and no. But did he do the moral thing? Did did uh, uh, did he do everything that he could to make sure this didn't happen? And then we find that in this cabal, uh, the top administrators at Penn State, uh, 
Vice President Gary Schultz, who ran the police department, that's why he's so critical here, and the president of the university, Graham Spanier, after the second incident in 2001, witnessed by Mike McQuarrie, they're convinced that they need to go to the outside authorities on this, that that's, that's the only way, because there's, this is the second time. And yet we see in those emails that uh, uh, athletic director Tim Curley, who, by the way, played football under Joe Paterno and was handpicked for that assignment by Joe Paterno. I'm not saying he was an incompetent man, but Joe ran things, and this man was really under his thumb. Joe was Joe was the biggest man on a very big campus. There's nobody can tell me Joe what didn't know everything that was going on in that place. So it was when they say, well, we want to go to the outside authorities, you see an email that says it's from Curly because Joe doesn't have an email account. That's what he wants you to know, what, what, what he wants you to think. But, but you see, it says, Joe's not comfortable in doing that. We think we can you know, take it a different way if we talk to this person, meaning Jerry Sandusky, and we handle it that way, which really flies in the face of his grand jury testimony. I don't care what anybody says. For our listeners, can you kind of share or paraphrase what he said during his grand jury testimony, Joe Paterno? Joe said that uh, Mike McCreary came to him, told him something happened, he reported it up to the chain of command by saying, look, I'm just a football coach. I don't have expertise in this. Uh, I think you guys should handle this. I think we have a problem. And he said that was the only time he ever mentioned it to Tim Curley. Well, if you, in an email a few days or weeks later, whatever the time frame was, you're mentioned as saying, well, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable in going to the outside authorities. Well, apparently there was a second conversation, wasn't there? At least a second conversation. And uh, so uh, it, it wasn't just that he did it one time and one time only and reported it to his superiors and he thought that was the end of it because it didn't go away. There was, there was more to it. And I'll, uh, if I may, expand on this a little bit. Uh, Mike McQuarrie, who's a graduate assistant, wants to be on the coaching staff, witnesses something in the Penn State shower, Jerry Sandusky and a 10-year-old boy, right? He's so shaken by this, he doesn't know what to do, so he calls his father. They talk and said, you got to go to Coach Paterno. you got to report this to Joe. Who did he go to? He went to the ultimate authority on the Penn State campus, Joe Paterno, the next day. And he sits there and he talks to him and he says, he didn't describe it in graphic detail, but he was very specific that it was a, uh, uh, something of a sexual nature involving a 55-year-old man and a 10-year-old boy with his hands against a shower wall in a Penn State football facility. Now, I ask you this. If the building were on fire, would McQuarrie have called Joe Paterno or he called the fire department? If If there was a crime that occurred with such urgency that it acquired, uh, uh, required the attention of Joe Paterno's superiors, he waited a day uh, because he didn't want to disrupt the campus routine because it was a weekend. Why didn't he call with an urgent, we've got a crime, We want, something really horrible happened, we've got to take care of this. He waited a day and let them handle it, but he didn't <sighs> He didn't show the sense of urgency that he acknowledged that 
something so horrible happened because nobody bothered to find out the identity of the child in the shower. To this day, they don't know the kid's name. They didn't get his side of the story. They just got McCreary's side of the story and Sandusky's version of events. It was as if, as we mentioned earlier, this child was invisible. Like he showed up and he's on the fringes, but the really important thing is you did the right thing in coming to me, Mike. We'll handle this. And they protected their own legacy, their own brand, and, and their own uh, skin without worrying, given one iota of interest uh, in that child. Now, uh, draw your own conclusions on that one. Mm. Uh, one thing that I, I will add in, in that whole thing, and again, that's why I say when you hear some of the gruesome details about this, I hope uh, folks like uh, Gary Schultz, Tim Curley, uh, even Joe Paterno, because it looks like all these people have been very deceptive in concealing information. If he were still alive, I would be saying, yes, even Joe Paterno, he should be looking at some jail time behind this. Uh, these, In my view, not being truthful to the grand jury testimony, man, these folks should be looking at serious jail time. Uh, one thing I would add, though, with uh, the fact we still don't know who the shower victim uh, that Mike McCrary uh, that he saw or I guess two points I'll make. The first, not knowing who that person is, I believe in all the counts, uh, some more than 40 counts against Jerry Sandusky, the victim from the shower, Jerry Sandusky was acquitted on that one, I believe, if, unless I'm mistaken. That, no, you're right. You're okay. right. Because there was no uh, corroboration or uh, there were three felony counts that were uh he was acquitted on now so that meant 42 out of 45 charges of child sexual abuse he was found guilty of uh so yes you're correct that because that child was never identified and was unable to testify like um the others uh involved in this sordid saga were able to do is just take the stand say your name on a on a bible and tell the truth to a, to a jury uh, of Jerry Sandusky's peers, and they got 42 out of 45 convictions, which I say uh, is uh, 42 litmus tests on the veracity of, of, of our book, Game Over. It's, it's, it's held up through trials, through critical reviews, and interviews like this, and uh, the interviews we've done with other uh, media outlets. Mm. My my two quick points would be, number one, uh, we talked about the racial aspect of the Donner case and implications in this case as well. Uh, I don't know, obviously, but if that victim was a black male in the child, I would say that would be a real ugly aspect of racism if that in any way influenced whether or not um, McCreary decided to act, uh, whether or not other folks decided to act, if that ended up being a black child. And the fact that way down the line that ends up being an acquittal, that would be one. The second aspect, we always talk about words, or at least I always talk about words and telling people to be, you know, mindful about what you say and the way we use terms, particularly when it gets serious. When we're talking about justice, when we're talking about racism, we're talking about abuse, you really got to be mindful of terms. I found it fascinating. You all talk about this in the book. 
when it starts going up the chain of command, McQuarrie, when he goes and he talks to Joe Paterno, and then it gets bumped up. Now we go to Gary Schultz, vice at the time, vice president. Uh, and it goes all the way up Spanier, uh, formerly president uh, at Penn State. When it starts going up the line of command, eventually you get to the point where you have, and I believe it's uh, President Spanier, where he's saying, well, I don't know, they didn't say sexual. They said they were just horsing around in the shower. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it was anything sexual. It was just them having some horsing around, having some fun in the shower. Certainly inappropriate, but not criminal. Words become very important where McQuarrie is saying that I said sexual. No, I didn't go into graphic detail with Joe Paterno. And no, I think he ultimately, when he testified, he said, no, I didn't exactly see penetration. So I can't say that, you know, there was definitely some sort of intercourse going on, but it definitely looked sexual in nature. He was emphatic about that. He said that's what he said to Joe Paterno. Just that term, whether he said it was sexual in nature, and I'm not saying that he lied. I think he probably is telling the truth on that, that he has been consistent about saying that he saw something that was sexual in nature and inappropriate. Just terms uh, where one person is saying they never said it was sexual. It was just horsing around. Really make an effort to be mindful of words that are being used because we've seen this consistently. Words can have a big impact when you are pursuing justice. Just the terms that we use to describe events, very important. Fascinating, isn't it, Gus, that Mike McQuarrie, through a grand jury testimony, a preliminary hearing in December, and in this trial with you know the, the, uh, the media spotlight of the world on him, was very consistent, and every time he told this story, I made sure I told him, and he understood that it was sexual in nature. That's he talking to Joe Paterno. Now, we don't know what happens next or how this is conveyed later on, but somehow it goes from being sexual in nature to Coach Paterno, and then when it's presented to Graham Spanier, the president of the university, it's horseplay, horsing around. Now, how does it do that? And you can speculate and say, you know, three grown men got together and said, well, you know, if we say it was horseplay, then there's not a crime. Uh, we can explain this all away if it if it ever comes back to us. Uh, unfortunately for them, for them especially, uh, they weren't able to explain it away. And keeping something in the dark for 13 years has a tendency uh, to make to allow it to fester and 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 grow uh, into monstrous kind of proportions so when it does see the light of day it's so much so much more so much worse than it could it should have been could have been do you feel sorry for joe paterno i don't think it, it, it I, i'll say this he's a tragic character it, 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 this is a tragedy of Shakespearean proportions. The king of college football, the most wins, the most years at a university. Uh, so many things, uh, so many players that he helped, not only to play football in the NFL, but to prepare them for, for life. Yet in this one lapse of judgment, if you will, this character flaw, this error in judgment, uh, he endangered the welfare of children. I mean... You, you have a. It's a in the Shakespearean tragedies and the tragedies of Greek literature. You you empathize with the with this character, but you uh, you purge the uh, feelings of pity and fear and say, "Thank God that didn't happen to me." And I got to be careful. I don't make a mistake like he made that brings the whole thing down. In a sense, 
I feel I empathize with him up to a point, and yet you cannot excuse the lapse in judgment that uh, that's always going to be part of his legacy. Again, our guest, Robert Dvorak, uh, the book, Game Over, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, and the Culture of Silence, uh, co-authored Bill Mouche and Robert Dvorak. Uh, I will check, see if Justice has some questions. Uh, if you're out there listening and you have some questions you would like to ask, the number to dial, got to dial this line, is 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Uh, if you dial that line, you have questions, just press star 6, and I'll get your hands. Uh, the number again, 760-569-7676. And the code is 564-943-POUND. And press star 6 if you have a question. Uh, let's see, Justice, if you have some questions for Mr. Well, he said Bob, Robert Dvorak, but he said Bob. Uh, your line should be open. If you have some questions, feel free. Hello? Yes, ma'am, we can hear you. Okay, uh, greetings, uh, Bob. Yes, yes. Um, uh, what do you think about Sandusky not being punished for years? That it was allowed to go on for so long, I, I think it's it's reprehensible. I think it's an indictment of our entire society that he was enabled and empowered, and this went on for so long. It makes a crime much more of a tragedy. Uh, it's 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 just incredible to me because there were so many lives that were affected later on had he been confronted and stopped early on that it still would have been a crime, but it wouldn't have been of this magnitude. I mean, we were talking the, the biggest scandal in uh, in college history in America. Oh, man, I was muted. Okay, so I'll read the question. Um, I know that Jerry Sandusky is a pedophile and that he would mistreat black boys sexually. Why didn't he go for white boys? Oh, he did. It was a it was a it was an ethnic oh, okay. mix. It, it did not to him uh you know, it was whoever was coming through the pipeline, whoever he could manipulate whoever he could control, whoever he exerted uh, this power over. Uh, and it, I, I think it was more of a case of their vulnerabilities rather than their uh, uh, their racial origin. Uh, and I think Jeff, Jeffrey Dahmer was sort of like the same way. Uh, it was uh, uh, whoever he could control at the time or run across in his uh, uh, movements through the underworld, that, that that's that's who... Uh, that's who he would prey on. So it was an ethnic mix. Okay. I suspected that uh, Sandusky knew that he was going to get caught practicing that sexual behavior with, with uh, boys. Um, if he knew that he was going to get caught, then why did he do it? 
it's it's i wish i wish i could explain the the, the inner workings of a of an evil mind that way it's it's sort of like a double edged sword he knew i think he knew that he was going to get caught eventually you can't do this forever you can't hide it forever and yet he had gotten away with it twice uh, it was uh, it had come to the attention of his own bosses at the university at least two times he got the sense that he was invincible that he was invulnerable that he was he could keep operating like this and it became almost uh almost like a game to him like a football game he had perfected the perfect defensive plan uh to keep from getting caught and he just kept playing it out and playing it out and playing it out i mean if some of the abuse happened in the basement of his own home as the jury determined with his wife upstairs uh you know it uh it just uh it's part of that when the wires get crossed inside a criminal mind yeah they know they're going to get caught but they don't think they're doing anything wrong actually they actually enjoy enjoy the um uh, uh the friction the tension that comes with the close calls and said ah they almost got me but they'll you know they uh, they'll 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 never get me Does his wife know that he's doing that? You know, that's a $64,000 question in a lot of people's minds because she kept saying uh, through this investigation that she didn't know anything. But one of the young men testified on the witness stand that he was screaming for help in the basement, hoping that she would come down to save him from his fate, and she never she never showed up. She never uh, uh, appeared to save him. Uh, and it also came out during the trial that um, uh, the youngest of their six adopted children, named Matt Sandusky, who heretofore had said that nothing bad had happened to him during the trial, his, something triggered in his memory, and he came forward to prosecutors and said that he was abused by Jerry Sandusky, his own adopted father, and was being set up just like all these other kids were. If if this son uh, came forward with this tale, how could, ask yourself this, how could a mother not know that something was going on there? Have you ever spoke to a pedophile? If so, how did you feel? What what was said? And uh, what were some of the questions that were asked? I have not had a personal one-on-one conversation with a pedophile. Uh, I've done interviews through attorneys and submitted questions, those those types of things. Um, It's interesting because um, Gus had asked me this question, do I feel sorry for Joe Paterno? And there is a degree of empathy. Do you feel sorry for Jerry Sandusky? Was there something in his background, something that happened to him way back in the past when he was growing up? Was he abused by somebody, and was that did he was he set on this predetermined course because he may not have been born a pedophile, but something happened to him and set him on that course? And uh, boy, I would really like to know that uh, the answer to that question. I do not have the answer, but I really wish I knew. 
according to your research, um, who does more mistreatment um, sexually, non-white people or white people? I don't know if it's uh, my my guess is uh, who does who does this more often. It's uh, it, it's whites. If you look at, in my experience, is based on what's happened in the Catholic Church, what's happened in universities like Penn State and Syracuse. There's been abuse in the Boy Scouts. There's been abuse in the um, uh, uh, junior hockey programs in Canada, where a national coach was found guilty of abuse. So. I'm more aware of those. Uh, so uh, using that as my baseline, I'd say it happens more often with whites. Thank you very much for uh, answering my questions. Discussing very good questions, by the way. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Uh person that dialed in 4225. Uh, if you have a question for Mr. Dvorak, your line to Bob, sorry. Your line should be open. Uh, good uh, good evening. Um, uh, Bob, uh, yes. you you had, uh, had described this, or I think I heard you describe this as a tragedy. Um, how, how do you see this as a tragedy and or, or more specifically a tragedy for who? Uh, a very good question. Uh, first of all, I see it as a crime, a horrible crime that happened against uh, the 10 young men that we know of that came forward so far. So it's a crime. Now, it's a tragedy in the sense that this crime is allowed to happen uh, for so long that it really spatters the reputation of a great university. I mean, uh, there's collateral damage done to Anybody who went to Penn State and got a degree and goes out into the world, they didn't do anything wrong. It was the actions of the administrators uh, who uh, made decisions that allowed this to go on. So you see what I mean, that uh, uh, there was a fall of a great university. I think there was also um, uh, a tragic end, if you will, uh, to Joe Paterno's coaching career in the sense that he was fired uh, at 10 o'clock at night over the phone after spending 61 years at a university because the Board of Trustees was blindsided by that. So he comes to a tragic end because of his inactions in this case. Does that explain that to you? Uh, yeah, yes, it does. Um, but but it, it, it just kind of the way that um, people are talking about this case, this crime, this pedophile, convicted pedophile, and his stature at uh, this institution, this academy. Um, one thing I was looking at some of the reviews, um, some of the comments that uh, people were making uh, about your, your recent book, Game Over, on Amazon, and there were a lot more negative reviews, and it appeared to me that people were, de were, were, were justifying their negative reviews of your book um, because of their allegiance, because of maybe their, you know, their love for Penn State. And it, one thing that I think that, and I could be wrong about this, but one thing I think I'm, I'm, I'm detecting in hearing, you know, is this, this kind of Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno, they represent Penn State, whereas it seems like if there was another kind of criminal, if, there, if this was another crime, that, you, that usually that individual is separate, is taken out, separate, 
separate and apart from the institution and isolated and focused on that, whereas this almost seems like, okay, we have this institution. This individual created a crime, and all these people conspired to hide this crime that was being committed against these children. And that seems that, that's really interesting to me. What do you think about that? Am I, am I wrong on that? No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're right. There are some really bad reviews uh, about the book, most often made by people who haven't read it that how dare you say anything that goes against the image of the great Saint Joe Paterno? Or how dare you say anything that would suggest something bad happened at Penn State? And you see the mentality there is to circle the wagons and protect the institution without giving thought to the horrible crime that happened to these 10 young men. Now, as a writer, and I've been in the business for 44 years, I know if I write on a controversial subject, there are going to be people who are never going to be able to uh, believe, comprehend, or admit that what I wrote was uh, was correct. Uh, you destroy the credibility of the writer, the messenger. Isn't that the strategy of the defense attorney in this case? Uh, ten young men came forward to say something bad happened to them. The only way to defend his client is to attack their credibility. So you see the dynamic that that's at work there. Um, I've been I've been reviewed critically. I've done uh, interviews like with Gus and um, scores of other outlets, and there were 42 or 45 guilty verdicts brought. To me, that is a litmus test for the credibility of this book. Uh, there was a statement issued uh, uh, through the by the paternal family the day after the book came out that this was all lies and they were outraged that uh, this book came out. Well, where was the outrage when the crimes were being committed? And if everything we wrote in this book is a lie, what? How do you explain away these emails now? Uh, you know, it's it was sort of like they're still trying to protect the legacy and the image. Of, uh, of the late Joe Paterno, and uh, one way to do that is to just attack the book. So I would, I, and I appreciate your intelligence in seeing through that, and, uh, because the only thing we've said, and I'm not getting any name-calling contest, you know, with some uh, hired liar from the, who represents the, the, the family, we've said that we stood by our story, we still do, we always have, and we encourage people to make up their read it and make up their own minds. That's all. Yes, uh, uh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm glad you kind of got to that because you know, again, it, it just seems to be a uh, a fascinating uh, pattern. Whereas uh, certain institutions or certain people, whatever their motivation, they they honor, they idolize some particular individual or some particular institution, and they will come together um, in a group uh, unorganized and try to defend that ideal or the image of that institution at the cost, in this this case, seems uh, a tremendous cost to, uh, you know, the victims involved. And uh, that's it. That's all the questions I have. Thank you. And and they also enjoy a certain, uh, the luxury of anonymity. They don't have to sign their names to these things. 
you know, uh, or you know, they, they don't have to have. You, you don't have to really know who they are. It's, it's a great way to hide behind something, isn't it? Uh, you write a rotten review or say this is a bunch of trash, uh, and without having to stand up and say who you are. And unfor- I, you know, I can't say this often enough. Unfortunately, in our society, we've elevated these sports figures, these coaches. These players, I, I I like football, but I know it's a game. These people aren't saints. They're not gods. They're not the new deity. But sports in America, and I wasn't the first one to say it, is the is the opiate of the masses. Uh, you know, this is somebody's drug. If you say the drug is bad, well, then they're going to say something bad about you. But uh, good questions. I appreciate that. Thank you for the question, sir. Uh, if anybody else, if you have questions, the folks that are on the free HD line, just press star six if you have a question. Uh, if you uh, are listening in and you think you want to ask one, 760-569-7676, and the code is 564-943-POUND. Um, I will make sure that I get in. I At the time that I found out about uh, Phil Knight, with Nike and his comments uh, at the memorial for uh, Joe Paterno. At the time that I heard that, I was pretty disgusted. And having read the book now and having more information, I am oh, I'm echoing. Sorry, I'm echoing. Uh, I'm super disgusted. Uh, having read the book now and having more information about what happened, and you talk about that in the book, uh, where uh, Mr. Knight he he comes to the memorial and. Uh, is kind of uh, providing character testimony uh, on behalf of the late Joe Paterno and uh, saying that he felt it was disgraceful the way that he was treated. And if if anyone should be indicted for wrongdoing, it should be the trustees. Uh, And Joe Paterno, he did everything he was supposed to do. He passed it up the chain of command. He gave it to the uh, athletic director and the vice president. He told who he was supposed to tell. You know, what more do you want from a guy? Um, And I just feel that that is (laughs) – I, I can't see anything more disgraceful. I, I know people have a lot of criticisms for Nike. That right there, just however long that he went up and gave his little spiel at the memorial, that would be enough for me to say we really should leave all Nike apparel alone, uh, the shoes, the Jordans, all of that stuff. Uh, if you're going to come out and make any sort of statement that is getting these folks off the hook for enabling child molestation in the worst way. Uh, can you kind of give some of your thoughts about what Mr. Knight had to say at the memorial? It, it just struck me the same way, Gus. Uh, it, it, I was listening to this, and, uh, and but don't forget, he got the most applause at the, at the memorial service, didn't he? So he was preaching to some sort of choir, but it was as he went on and on and on, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, he's really dismissing the notion that Joe had anything to do with this at all. That it was somebody else's fault. It was it was with the investigation. It wasn't with with Joe, uh, you know, uh, who was this uh, great revered figure. Uh, it was also some erroneous information that really stuck in my ear when he was saying it. Um, that Joe gave news conferences and explained this all the way. He didn't do that. He gave one interview to the Washington Post after it was over. But uh, he would never have been able to go in front of uh, uh, the media and answer questions about his role in this, too. And the thing that sticks with me the most from Joe Paterno's own statements during this uh, unfolding uh, arrest and investigation and scandal 
was that with the benefit of hindsight, I wish I would have done more. Well, Joe, what more would you have done, and why didn't you do it? And I didn't hear Phil Knight say reference that one time. And maybe, maybe I would have softened just a hair, maybe a tad, if there would have been some recognition during that, however long it was, two-hour memorial service, to say, well, let's say a prayer for the young men who came forward, with the, had the courage to come forward, and let's say a prayer for their well-being because uh, the crimes against them uh, are unspeakable and they last forever. If there had been one mention of the young men during that whole time, I might have had some kind of, uh, you know, it, it might have made a little more sense to me, but... I, I was looking, I was dumbfounded. I was aghast when I heard him talk, and then when he did talk, he got the the the, the, the loudest and longest uh, round of applause. That says a lot, right there, in my view. Uh, the environment, the people at Penn State, and the people that were at that memorial specifically. That says a lot, right there. And I would take an example like that. I think we mentioned this or touched on it briefly when we were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer in December. Jeffrey Dahmer, he was arrested for child molestation way before he got to killing, you know, lots of other people. He had been arrested. He was out on parole. His parole officer never even checked on him. Not once. Just let him roam. Uh, In my view, what what we just talked about from the memorial, Jeffrey Dahmer being uh, unsupervised, uh, being out of out of greater confinement on parole for child molestation, convicted child molester, uh, the way that Penn State Joe Paterno and the vice president, the president, concealed information about this child molestation. In my view, all of this is ample evidence. Jerry Fine at Syracuse, we are in a quote-unquote country that really doesn't have a big problem with the sexual exploitation with children. And when I say we don't have a problem, this is something that we really are not that staunchly opposed to. Sexual exploitation of children, eh, we're not going to get riled up about that and, and see that that stops. I think the overwhelming evidence would suggest that. What are your thoughts, Mr. Dvorak? The, the, the phrase that comes to mind, Gus, is it's mind over matter. We don't mind because they don't matter. And I say they uh, in the kids, and I'm being cynical, I'm being sarcastic as I say that. It's, it, it's, it's a crime that's so bad that people don't want to think that it could happen. Okay, But to dismiss it, to not say that it's, that it's going on around us, is to allow it to go on, which only makes it worse. So it's just, just like this self-fulfilling prophecy. What this country needs, what we need right now, and thank you for bringing some of these issues to the forefront, is to confront this thing, this evil, right now in its tracks and say, wait a minute, people, we've got a huge problem here. These unreported crimes, these things are happening right under our noses. We choose to uh, ignore them or they somehow are invisible. That doesn't mean they're not happening, which is why... Um, you, you know, it's it's necessary. It's a cautionary tale. Again, it's necessary to read about these cases, to follow these cases, and as distasteful as they are, make sure that we are aware that these things can happen. Let's try to pick out the behaviors of those perpetrating it, and let's look. Let's reexamine our own selves. 
what kind of culture have we created that allows us to go on and to exalt the people who are responsible for allowing it to continue? Absolutely. Uh, person that dialed, oh, Pam. Uh, Pam, if you have some questions for uh, Robert Dvorak, your line should be open. Uh, good evening, Mr. Dvorak, uh, Gus and, and Justice. Um, I'm really glad that you wrote this book and brought it to the forefront. There were some questions that I had about the whole uh, scandal that uh, I was, uh, you know, couldn't really get the details from the media. So uh, I'm going to be, pers- you know, reading your book uh, sometime in the very near future. Um, I did have two questions. Uh, the first one was the, the boy that was being raped in the shower. Am I correct in saying that he was, uh, that that charge was dismissed in the trial? Yes. Uh, well, it, uh, he was acquitted on mm-hmm. on three charges related to that young man because uh, Mike McQuarrie testified that something sexual was going on, but he didn't really witness penetration, so it was a, a child uh, a child rape charges. So uh, technically, by the strict definition of the law, he could not testify to having witnessed it. So without witnesses, um, those three charges were dropped. Um, they weren't able to question the boy? They never found out. See, that's the thing, one of the heartbreaking things, Pam. Nobody at Penn State ever bothered to find out who that young man was and get his version of events. They they didn't even bother to find out who he was, and he just slipped away into oblivion while they decided what they were going to do uh, about Jerry Sandusky. Oh, my goodness. That's, 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 that's too tragic for words. Um, yes. Uh, the other question I had was, I recently read that uh, there was an article, I forget what paper, um, and it said something about, uh, here it is, uh, Germany and the European Union to legalize pedophilia, and with it child pornography as well. It was in the EUtimes.net. And I wondered, do you believe that this child molestation of Jerry Sandusky, uh, the Red Sox manager, do you believe this is just the tip, tip of the iceberg in, uh, in, in America and in Europe? Uh, this pedophilia, uh, because it, it does appear that among the elite it seems to be very common. And I just wonder if that's one of the reasons that the, the Jerry Sanduskys get away with it is because it's being practiced at much higher levels widespread. And I just wonder what you thought about that. I, I do think it is the t- tip of the iceberg. I really do. Um, that if we if you look at the statistics that are reported, that uh, it, it happens in one out of four cases. Uh, uh, one out of four women will report a, a, a case of child sexual abuse, and it happens a, a little less frequency with young men, but it happens. And that's a substantial amount of people involved. Um, there are rumors, and I hate to comment on rumors, but uh, uh, I uh, heard rumors about uh, this uh, charity that Sandusky had set up was really – uh, nothing but a front for a, a larger ring. Now we'll see where the investigation goes with that. But uh, I think it's I think it's something. And and until I researched the book, I hadn't even thought about it in this context. I think it's gone on for for thousands of years. Um, yeah. That yep. you know the uh, uh, the preying on uh, on young people and uh, by the uh, by the powerful and uh, uh, it. It, it, it's it's 
it's something so distasteful you don't want to think about, which mm -hmm. allows it to happen again. So I do think it's the tip of the iceberg. Good, good phrase there. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. I I agree, and I, I think that I, me personally, I think people don't want to acknowledge that it's happening, not because they don't know it's happening, not because they can't face it. I just suspect this seems to be a very anti-child society in general. And thank you for answering my questions. Thank you. And as a grandfather, um, you know, I I hate to I hate to think that because. You know, our children, our grandchildren are, are what we raise them to be. And, God, if something ever happened to them, I you know, uh, why I talk to them and why I show them the love and affection that I do. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you for the questions, Pam. Uh, if you all have questions, 760-569-7676, and the code is 564 nine four three pound uh, don't wait till the last minute uh, i did want to indulge i know when we were kind of setting up the time and date for the program and i was asking we already talked about if you have any sympathy for joe paterno do you have any sympathy for jerry sandusky and i was saying that I, i'm seeing reports and i've seen more than one now where people are writing and saying you know we should uh sympathize with pedophiles uh that these people they can't help themselves and you know, we shouldn't be looking at them as monsters. And I was saying that I even saw Don Lemon on CNN, and Don Lemon admitted to being molested as a child. Also, he said he's homosexual as well. But he was doing this report, and he was saying that he saw Jerry Sandusky when he was being led away in handcuffs, and he just felt bad for him. And I just thought, what in the, what is going on? Um, and I wanted to, to play a sound clip of this so you can hear this because this it really it goes back to what I said. We really don't have a problem in this area of the world. People here, we really don't have a problem with sexual exploitation of children. And right in relationship to what Pam was just saying, I think the environment is being created to make it easier to sexually exploit children. I want to play this clip and get your thoughts on it, Mr. Dvorak. It's uh, CNN, Don Lemon, and he's speaking with uh, James Cantor, he's the author, and he wrote a piece that was published on CNN's website the day that Sandusky was convicted, uh, saying, you know, pedophilia and talking about the difference. And he was even saying there's a difference between pedophilia and child molestation. And I think he gets into some of that on this piece. I'll play this really quick, and then we'll get uh, Bob's thoughts. Uh, this is from CNN, Don Lemon, James Cantor. This next story we're going to talk about, there's a lot of people talking, so pay attention to this. No doubt, what was revealed during the Jerry Sandusky case is horrifying, but a CNN.com commentary raises a thought-provoking question. Should pedophiles be extended some measure of sympathy? Are we doing enough to identify and help pedophiles before they victimize our children? Dr. James Cantor wrote that commentary. He is a psychologist and a senior scientist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, and he joins us now. Doctor, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I want to ask you something, and I know people are going to probably send me a lot of hate mail for this. I don't really take, I've never been one to take glee in anyone's demise, and when I saw Jerry Sandusky walk out in handcuffs, I did kind of feel a bit sorry for him, even though I know the jury found him to do some horrific things. It just, I was like, oh, you know, his life is over. All of these young boys, it was terrible for them as well. There are no winners. 
In your piece, you say someone has no choice to be a pedophile, but someone can choose to not be a child molester. So explain that to us. Well, we have to understand very specifically that pedophilia is separate from child molestation. Pedophilia refers to the actual, genuine, underlying sexual interest. For some reason, and we haven't worked out the details yet, there are some people born with a genuine sexual interest in children. They didn't ask for that. Nobody asks to be a pedophile. That just seems to be the case for these people. But that's very different from child molestation, which is a choice. They can't control what they're attracted to, but they can control what they do with, the, uh, with those attractions. So someone was born that way with to, and, and they can't help themselves, but that's not to make an excuse for their behavior. Exactly. I mean, uh, they're not responsible for what they're attracted to. They appear to be born with it. Uh, we know through a series of, uh, of brain studies, both from my research group and from other teams, that they're born with slightly different brain anatomy. Mm. And the differences that they show are not the kinds of differences that emerge over a lifetime. Rather, they seem to be the kind of differences where whatever the chain of events it is, that chain of events began before birth. It really had, it, it, uh, had nothing to do with any choice that they made. What they do with those interests, however, is, uh, uh, is of course, still completely under their control. Now, the, the cases that we see are, of course, the cases who have been unable to resist their sexual interests. Uh, and those are the cases that hit the news. And in some cases, you know, they can have a, you know, a string of victims over, over many years. But there also exist, uh, uh, Dan Savage once called them uh, the gold star pedophiles. These are men who, you know, they know that they're attracted to children and struggle every day trying not to, uh, uh, to express those feelings and not mm -hmm. to hurt anybody. Yeah. Those are the people that we really need to help. Yeah. Um, does someone like Sandusky deserve sympathy? I mean, in your experience, are people who prey on children, are they misunderstood? Well, I mean, the people who actually engage in those behaviors, I mean, they need to be dealt with really on the basis of what, uh, what it is that they did. There's nothing in any research that says that uh, somehow they're uh, not responsible for their behavior. But the day before somebody becomes a child molester, they weren't a child molester. It was in that day when they felt like they had nowhere else to turn, nobody to talk to, nobody to unburden themselves, when they felt the most desperate, that's when they needed to, for example, go to a psychologist. Yeah. But the way that uh, uh, the rules are set up today, if they go to a psychologist, that psychologist has to report them. Yeah. So rather than having a society where people can go in and get the help they need, we have forced these people to be out on their own, unsupported, and then we damn them when there were no supports available to them ahead of time. Mm. I think society as a whole would be much better off if these people had an alternative, if they had someone or some way that they could do some group, some institution, some helpline, in order to prevent them from going from just a pedophile to an actual child molester. Well, it's, it's very interesting stuff. I mean, how can you defend, and many people will say, how do you feel sorry for someone who rapes a child? And even there are people who do it to, quite frankly, babies, and I don't know if that person deserves sympathy, but... Uh, well, it's, sure, but it's, that, that's now holding somebody responsible for their behavior, which is appropriate. Yeah. But before they engage that behavior, they're not responsible for their sexual interests. Yeah. If we were able to identify these people, for example, very early on and help provide them with the tools to control their own, uh, their own behaviors uh, and their own interests, then we could prevent them from becoming a child molester. Yeah. So much of society right now is built into uh, revenge and being punitive, 
but we could probably do a lot more people a lot more good if we got in earlier and just helped them deal with their uh, interests before they actually uh, acted on them. All right. Thank you, Dr. Cantor. Interesting stuff. Context of white supremacy. What are your thoughts on that piece, Bob? I'm almost speechless. I don't. I don't know what to say. Uh, uh, yeah, it sounds like a distinction without a difference to me. Uh, b- behavior is one thing; criminality is another. Uh, and, and honestly, um, I grew up. I was taught that you know, hey, things happen to you in your life, but you're responsible for your for your own behavior, what you do later on. So it sounds like, uh, with all due respect to the doctor in Toronto, I think it's a bunch of hogwash. Mm. And I, I don't, uh, you know, as far as the, the commentators uh, said, well, I, I kind of felt sorry for him. His life's over. I, I didn't celebrate the fact that Jerry Sandusky was convicted 42 times. I didn't celebrate it, but I thought justice was served. And I did not celebrate because young men have received life sentences from this monster beforehand. And, you know, who feels sorry for them? I mean, that's where our sympathies should lie. Um, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to remember this name, but he's a pitcher for the Mets, and he's going to be in the All-Star game Tuesday night. He's a knuckleball pitcher. He was abused as a child. And he had some interesting comments when he was in Pittsburgh, and he said he felt sorry for the man who abused him. But that's different. That's different from saying I have sympathy for um, for a pedophile or a, uh, because he he uh, uh, he understood that something happened to uh, his attacker that uh, uh, set him on this course. I think that's uh, and, and that's a real difference for me. Hmm. Uh, the person that called in eight two six excuse me eight two eight six sorry about that eight two eight six let me get to your line. I just want to make sure folks heard that uh he said uh this is Dr. James Cantor saying the gold star pedophile is the person who acknowledges that they have a sexual interest in children, but they work not to act on that interest. That is what you call a gold star pedophile. I'll just leave that there. Uh, 8286, your line is open. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Hi. uh, Thank you for um, coming on the show and discussing some of the details of the case. I must say, um, as a victim of um, child molestation, uh, that was a bitter pill to swallow, um, hearing uh, someone like Don Lemon uh, say something like that. I agree. Um, for victims, we we um, I know speaking from my personal experience that um, now I look at the situations that has taken place with me um, in relation to the perpetrator and uh, understanding what has happened. I I I would say you know I feel sorry for him only in the context of uh, stating that, you know, he too uh, was a victim of the cycle. But for some, someone or these entities of people coming in trying to pick over this case to justify this person in their act and trying to draw people to have sympathy for what he did, even when they couldn't even acknowledge 
um, as you both have stated before, um, what he did was wrong. I, I think it's a slap in the face, and I know Don Lemon is involved in a tragic arrangement, unfortunately, but I, I, it's really hard for me to sit and watch uh, people like that and really have sympathy for them. I didn't. I didn't hear a question. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would say this though. Uh, I would. I respect that uh, woman for coming forward and, and sharing her story with us. And the thing that's been most heartening, uh, Gus, in this whole process is that a number of people who were victimized uh, have come forward and thanked us for writing this book. And I think you could hear in her voice that there is an understanding, a deeper understanding. Uh, among those who have been personally affected by these types of things. Um, and remember earlier there was a, the, the gentleman uh, mentioned the uh, uh, the uh, horrible reviews we were getting on Amazon for trashing Joe Paterno and, uh, and, uh, and Penn State. Well, uh, we've also been uh, uh, held up uh, and thanked for uh, taking uh, the, the uh, uh, presenting the side of the young men uh, who were victimized here and victims all over who through no, no fault of their own uh, were handed life sentences because again it's something you got to live with your whole life you don't just get over it hmm. right on uh, the female caller that just rang in 8286 did you have a question or did you just you yes just I did but I, oh, okay. I, I got stopped only because I wasn't sure whether or not you guys had to comment on anything but um, my question sorry for the whole spiel but my question was do you think uh, the guests on the program do you think um, for white people that in seeing this case being drawn out the way it is that they have a sense of, of concern about this matter because from the people that I, I, I'm around on a daily basis it's it doesn't seem like it's a concern unless it's something dealing with them and, you know, the media plays a role in manipulating sympathy for uh, white people versus um, non-whites. I think it was the case early on that it was, oh, I don't want to deal with this. It's too horrible to cope. Uh, I, I just don't want to handle this. I've got my own life to live. But I think as more details are coming out, um, that there are people who are now re-examining and questioning. You know, um, and I, I appreciate uh, your coming out and, and, and telling us uh, part of your story because I think there's a rare opportunity here because this case generated so much interest. There's a window of opportunity to confront this and do something about it, but my biggest fear is it'll pass and become yesterday's headlines. They'll start playing football in the fall and hope it all goes away. So there's a rare opportunity to confront this, and it's, I think it's up to us to uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Otherwise, it'll just go back into the, uh, in, uh, into the mix with all the other things we forget about. We've got a 15-second attention span, it seems like, and uh, uh, now's the time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
about our last few minutes. Uh, if you have a question, you should get your hand up right now. If you have a question you want to ask uh, the author, Mr. Robert Dvorak, uh, outstanding book. I learned a lot of details. I will put some comment, uh, positive feedback for the book on Amazon.com. Uh, Game Over, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, and the Culture of Silence. Uh, I think you will uh, learn a lot. I mean, it is pretty gruesome. Uh, there were some times where uh, I was just kind of uh, speechless. Um, I mean, it's just what to say. Uh, just hearing the, the, the vivid details of what uh, people alleged to have seen happening and then hearing, you know, nothing really done about it. Um, people have asked me, you know, why do I read and enjoy? You get a lot of details, a lot more details than just getting a five-minute clip watching the news or, you know, reading the newspaper and, and maybe getting 500 words or 1,000 words on uh, a particular incident when you can actually do some serious research and, and pick up a, a book about a whole incident or several books. You get a lot more details. One of the details uh, I read in your book, you were talking about how uh, the Pennsylvania governor, uh, Governor Corbett, uh, he had the flags at half-mast when Joe Paterno passed away, and that caught my attention because I recall just a few months back when black female uh, entertainment icon Whitney Houston, when she passed away, they had the flags at half-mast in New Jersey, and there were quite a few white people who were furious. Uh, they were uh, putting out videos and writing articles and saying, this is a disgrace, and we put the flag at half-mast for soldiers and veterans and people who have served for this country, died for this country, and why on earth is the flag at half-mast uh, for some R&B singer? And I'm looking at this and going, wow, the flag is at half-mast for Joe Paterno? a football coach, and people are saying, wow, this is great. This is justified. What were your thoughts on this? Uh, the flag being at half-mass half for Joe Pa? Well, it, it struck me Cor Corbett's action, too, because Corbett was the attorney general who uh, uh, initiated this investigation. Then he ran for governor. He took contributions for some people from Penn State as he was running for governor, and then was an ex officio member of the board of trustees when Joe was fired. So uh, he was at least part of the process that got Joe fired. And then he had the flags lowered. Uh, you know, I'll say this, Gus, Pennsylvania politics is a lot like it's rain. There's a lot of acid in it. Uh, he was, uh, I, I just thought it was a political act of, uh, you know, a, 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 a political creature. He He was trying to, somehow appease this uh, base in central Pennsylvania. But uh, it, it struck me and said, wait a minute, uh, if he was fired because he showed lack of leadership uh, in handling a case of crimes against children, would you lower the flag for this person? It, it, it gave me pause. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think, uh, just do you think it's likely that uh, Gary Schultz, former vice president, uh, and or Tim Curley, former athletic director, do you think it's likely that they will be convicted uh, when their court cases come up? Um, I, uh, uh, Gary Schultz, the, his case particularly uh, struck us uh, as because uh, he was involved from the start uh, with that uh, initial investigation in 98. Perjury is a tough uh, charge to prove, I will say that, but I think with this ongoing investigation, there would be more charges that uh, 
them from uh, endangering the welfare of a child. So uh, I do think that given the information that's come out at trial and in the email since, uh, yes, uh, and it only takes, you know, one person on a jury to uh, to uh, cause a hung jury, but uh, uh, I think we proved, uh, the, the, the jury proved in the Sandusky case that uh, a jury from central Pennsylvania can make that uh, make that decision without having uh, you know uh, blind loyalty to a school mm. uh, one of our listeners they wrote in um, and I saw this as well when I started reading some of the information about Penn State and what was going on up there um, are you familiar with the incidents that happened I believe this is uh, earlier in two thousand in the 2000s where there were some racist threats against black students on the campus at Penn State, and uh, ultimately they ended up finding uh, the body of a black male. I believe it was actually two uh, black males on the campus there, and there were these threats, letters that were being sent to different black students, uh, and they ended up, some of the black students, they ended up having to have uh, bulletproof vests on at graduation out of fear for their safety. Uh, this happened, uh, as I said, in the early 2000s. Did you come across that when you were doing your research? Boy, I didn't, and uh, I, I didn't want to uh, talk about something I don't know, but I will be straight up with you on this. Uh, Central Pennsylvania, Center County, Pennsylvania, um, the population is 99.9% uh, white. 1% uh, of the student body uh, at Penn State uh, is African American. Uh, it's look, look at the demographics there. I, I talked to uh, uh, Charles Pittman, was a football player, the first African American uh, recruited by Joe Paterno uh, to play football there in 1966. He said when he got to State College, uh, there were still some uh, restaurants and businesses that were still segregated. This is 1966. Um, so, unfortunately, um, uh, State College, Pennsylvania, is still caught up in the, uh, uh, in, in the, in the racial uh, friction and debate that uh, has plagued this country since its uh, founding. Wow. Uh, you can check out the book. Uh, I got the audio book. It was great to listen. It was a little eerie. I will have to say that. I think I would have had a different experience if I had actually sat down and, and flipped through and read it. But it was a little eerie uh, to hear these accounts uh, read narrated. Um, but definitely. Hey, Josh, I got to be. I got to be honest with you. I, that's the first time I had heard the audio version, and uh, I had the same uh, feeling. I felt a little creepy listening to that, but. Um, again, I would say it's necessary because uh, to dismiss it or sweep it under the rug um, only only enables it to continue. Cannot be said enough. That uh, Sylvia Coleman, she said that last week. That's one of the worst things that we can do, not talking about uh, child molestation. Uh, Larry Brinkin, uh, he was uh, – <laughs> Like Sandusky, he was regarded as a humanitarian and a gay rights activist. He was just charged uh, and arrested uh, last weekend with uh, child molestation, pedophilia. Some of his victims were one year old. Uh, she said one of the worst things that we can do is to not talk to our children about this, and it should be done, meaning that dialogue with your children and anybody else who will listen, people that you care about, have that dialogue often and as soon as possible, because when you don't talk about it, this is what can happen. Uh, the book, again, Game Over, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State, and the Culture of Silence. Uh, you can get the audio book. It's about uh, unabridged, so you get the whole nine. 
the audiobook is about seven hours and some change. Uh, the actual book, I don't know. I don't have it in hand, but uh, you can get either one. Excellent information. You'll learn a lot about what transpired in Happy Valley. And uh, as I said, I think reading this book, you will not have any sympathy for any of these folks. You will be looking with interest at some of the trials coming up uh, for some of the former Penn State officials who, in my opinion, I will say again, willfully, deliberately, consciously aided in Jerry Sandusky being able to molest and victimize children. Very much appreciate you taking some of your Sunday evening to speak with us on the program, Mr. Dvorak. Excellent read. Both of them. You should get uh, Milwaukee Massacres, too. Read on Jeffrey Dahmer. That has great info as well. Really appreciate it, and uh, thank you so much for having the the courage to write this book and be honest about what took place. I I appreciate your comments, and, you know, it it does take some courage to to know that people are going to call you names and a liar for telling – what happened but but that's my job as a professional i've written about unpleasant topics before and you know to, to say something is unpleasant so i can't write about it i think is a, is an abrogation of your professional trust the book was written uh, for somebody who never heard of jerry sandusky or really doesn't know penn state it was written with the background necessary so that you could follow everything and i and and thank you so much for your comments for saying that that came through Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, game over. Uh, Jerry Sandusky, Penn State and the culture of silence. Excellent material. Pay attention to the upcoming trials as well. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening and keep up the great work, Mr. Dvorak. Thank you so much, Gus. And thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Be well, sir. Okay. you too. Yes, sir. Wow context of white supremacy we'll take a quick commercial break and then if any of the folks that dialed in if you have a quick comment that you want to get in about any of the material we can do so my apologies again the talk shoe uh difficulties you know what it is with talk shoe um but this program will be archived and the archive will be available on talk shoe just like any of the normal programs so anybody if you missed out if you had difficulties if you couldn't catch it live or if you just if you want to share if you want to send this out to some other people to get info about what happened uh, at Penn State uh, it'll be available normal archive format the mp3 should be there roughly two hours after the program concludes it'll be on iTunes and all of the normal spots good looking for the folks who dialed in on the free HD line that's generally the best bet to dial in for the program, even when TalkShoe is working correctly. 760 number will generally get you through if we are on. Quick commercial break, and I'm actually going to play the clip that we began with because uh, I'll probably never have a chance to play this again. Just so you can hear some of the details about what went down in this case. Uh, you really got to be talking to your children. I think Ms. Coleman, she said last week, racism, child sexual abuse. Have tos. These are conversations you got to be having on a regular basis with your child as soon as they can understand what you are saying. I will say again, if you got children that are being sexually molested and abused at one, you cannot be waiting until 13, 14, 15 to have these discussions as soon as possible and as often as possible. If we don't mind sitting around and talking about basketball and our favorite foods and all sorts of other silliness, going shopping for clothes, things that don't really have life-changing implications, we definitely should devote at least 30 to 40 minutes on a regular basis. And when I say regular, weekly, if not daily, talking about sexual molestation. It happens frequently, pointing out these incidents. You can even just be picking out the news. It's in the paper every day. 
Jerry, uh, Coach Bernie Fine at Syracuse, the Penn State situation, uh, Larry Brinkin, San Francisco, just last week. It's happening all the time. Just pointing out how frequent this is, and so your child can be armed. Be aware of your environment. We'll play the sound clip so you can hear some of the, the details from the audio book, and then we'll be back if anybody has any closing comments before we wrap things up. Context of white supremacy, we will be right back. At another event, this one on April 14, 2000, about 1,200 people attended a testimonial and roasted Sandusky at the Bryce Jordan Center. Joe Paterno made a very brief appearance, saying he had to leave early because of a prior commitment. Paterno said Sandusky was what Penn State is all about. Am I sexually attracted to yes. underage boys? It became clear to Leiter that Sandusky had formulated a consistent game plan, just as he had done as the coach for 32 years on the Penn State football staff. Leiter kept private the stories from others involved in the second mile when he conducted his interviews, making sure not to taint the case by tipping anyone off. He was the first investigator to lead a probe of Sandusky's behavior who was not affiliated with Penn State. He had no allegiance to the university or the former defensive mastermind. By late 2010, Leiter had gathered a remarkable number of accounts with similar modus operandi from young men who claimed Sandusky had forced himself on them sexually. According to these accounts, Sandusky, while projecting a saintly image to the public, was preying on the vulnerabilities of those assigned to his care. Few of them had male role models in their lives, so all of them had been elated when a man of Sandusky's stature had shown interest in them. He was a famous football coach and humanitarian who invited them into a world they had no access to before. They had the chance to meet real football players, associate with legends like Joe Paterno, and be in the mix of big-time college football. The family members of the accusers had been fooled as well. Many were single parents grateful that a man like Jerry Sandusky was helping their child, making them less likely to see the affectionate attention negatively. Leiter's investigation revealed that Sandusky had carefully observed the young men for as long as two years before he made his move. According to Leiter, he would seek targets with no adult male figures in their lives. He would lavish them with gifts and words of love and affection like they had never experienced before. He had them believing he genuinely cared for them and that they were special. Eventually, he would encourage them to join him in one-on-one -on -one workouts and other activities where they could be alone. In almost every instance, Leiter's investigation indicated, Sandusky would test them to gauge a response. If he could get away with rubbing their leg in his car on the way to an event, he would push the boundaries further. If the young men objected to the touching, Leiter reasoned, they would not get any personal attention from him again, sexual or otherwise. Those who didn't protest against the advances would remain in his good graces, some for as long as four years. And they were all afraid to tell anyone about what was going on, even their closest friends. Am I sexually attracted to yes. underage boys? Despite Sandusky's promises two years earlier to never shower with children again, detectives would learn of another unreported allegation against Sandusky in the Lash Building shower. Penn State janitorial staff who worked there told them they witnessed what appeared to be the assault of a young child by Sandusky in a shower. It was on a Friday night after Penn State's football team had gone on the road for an away game. 
Sandusky may have believed the facility would be empty because virtually everyone associated with Penn State football traveled with the team. He apparently didn't realize janitors were still on duty. Shortly after Sandusky got there, a janitor named Jim Calhoun heard a noise in the showers of the Lash building. He found a naked Sandusky with a boy who appeared to be no more than 13 years old pinned against the wall. Shocked, Calhoun immediately went to look for his co-worker, Ronald Petrosky. Before he could find him, Petrosky arrived. Under the partition he could see two sets of feet, one of an adult, another of a child. He waited for a few minutes for them to finish showering. Then Sandusky, a man he recognized, walked out hand in hand with a young child. Both were carrying gym bags and had wet hair. He said Sandusky acknowledged him with a good evening. A few minutes later, Calhoun finally found Petrosky and told him he had seen Sandusky naked in the shower, holding the boy up against the wall and licking him. Calhoun had fought in the Korean War and had seen people with their guts blown out, arms dismembered. Now he told Petrosky, I just witnessed something in there I'll never forget. He also said he watched Sandusky perform oral sex on the child. Paterno said Sandusky was what Penn State is all about. Context of white supremacy. I can say out of, you know, doing a lot of programs, more than 600 at this point, uh, most of the time I'm not very bothered uh, about material. And I can't really say I was super bothered about this because I'd heard a lot of this material before. It's been going on for almost a year now uh, as major media news. Uh, it's been going on for about a year now. So I can't say I was uh, incredibly disturbed, but just I think this is the first time that I've had uh, a book where there was some serious research and I had it in audiobook format. Man, to have to listen to that for seven hours and get all those lurid details, and I could have let the audio just ride. I mean, there's so many different examples of what people saw him doing and victims giving their account of what was happening. Man, that stuff is uh, erototoxins. Dr. Judith Reisman, that is her term. When you get exposed, it's in the environment, whether it's the images. Uh, people talking about any sort of sexually deviant behavior, getting exposed to that, it can have a really corrosive impact on you. And I can definitely say having to listen to that, uh, and it's like seven hours, the book in audio. I don't know how long the book is, but audio format's about seven hours and a half. Listening to that for uh, all that time, hmm. Anyway, we will be back tomorrow. That would be Monday. July 9th, 2012, uh, we will have uh, Cabe Bernson, white male, suspected racist. Uh, he is the attorney for Rodney Pearson, uh, the former sheriff in Jasper, Texas, uh, who was fired, uh, victim of racism. Uh, he, tragic arrangement as well, unfortunately, Mr. Pearson uh, is, quote-unquote, married to a suspected racist white female. That'll be tomorrow, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Mr. Bernson, he has a lot of details on the racist activity. Voltron, in effect, once again. That'll be tomorrow. And as I said, this whole month of July is pretty much 
uh, Child Molestation Month here for the cows. This Wednesday, we will have uh, Valerie Jackson. She is a white woman, suspected racist. She'll be joining us live from the UK Wednesday, I guess, afternoon, uh, because of the time difference being in the UK, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific. Valerie Jackson, uh, she has written a book that is all about racism and child molestation. In fact, that's the title of the book, Racism and Child Molestation. She will be with us on Wednesday afternoon, if you're in the States. Uh, really interested in hearing why she, a white person, decided to investigate that topic and uh what she found. She said she talked to a lot of black victims and got their story and put it all together in her book, but that'll be this Wednesday. We'll also have uh, Lori Robinson. She's a black female who's written about uh, how black people can heal from sexual abuse. One thing that I would say, uh, I would encourage folks not to underestimate the number of black people who are engaged in sexual deviance, pedophilia, child molestation, there are a lot of white people who engage in this behavior, but I think uh, you will be doing yourself and probably your children a disservice if we are not truthful about the fact that there are a lot of black people engaged in this misbehavior as well. Uh, if you check out, oh, we got another one this Thursday, uh, Amos uh, Amos Camille, uh, one of the callers mentioned him when uh, Cisco Street Love was on the broadcast. Amos Camille wrote that piece in the New York Times Magazine about the prep school predators. He'll be on the program this Thursday with another white person who is an attorney who has brought charges uh, in a different prep school setting where it was the same thing, teachers molesting, uh, someone in the football department molesting uh, children, taking advantage of them for 20 years. And the same thing, the white staff got together, concealed information, protected this pedophile so that they didn't get in trouble. Uh, but they'll be on the program this Thursday evening. Um, I would say, you know, you, we just got to be truthful. Uh, the Horace Mann case, there was one of the teachers was a black male, uh, who was molesting these students. Uh, one of the other teachers, uh, pedophiles was a non-black, non-white male. Uh, I'm pretty sure if some of the people who've been calling in and talking about their experience, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the victims have unfortunately been sexually abused by other black people. Um, just something I think, you know, just being honest, just being honest about the problems we face and going about correcting it. Uh, we are in an environment, as Dr. Cambon says, a global cesspool. Just being truthful about the nature of the cesspool. Uh, I will check to see if any of the folks that are listening in, if they have any comments they want to share on information that was uh, shared on the broadcast. Um, the folks that dialed in um, with questions, your line's open. If, if you all have anything you want to share, uh, feel free. If not, that's fine, too. I did want to say that clip from CNN with Don Lemon and James Cantor. I am going to try and see if we can get Dr. Cantor on the program where they were talking about, quote, unquote, gold star pedophiles, right? Don Lemon is uh, an admitted, quote, unquote, homosexual. He also has admitted to being uh, sexually molested as a child, cowbell. Dr. James Cantor, suspected racist white man, he is an admitted, quote-unquote, homosexual. There you have the trend again, homosexuality, so-called homosexuality, anti-sexuality, and pedophilia, the connection again. 
Just wanted to make sure I got that in. I will see if we can get Dr. James Cantor on the program, though. Uh, any of the folks listening in have comments? If you're on the line and you hadn't said anything before, if you want to get in a quick word, it's star six if you have a, a question or comment. Uh, Pam, 8286 and 4225. Do you all have any questions or comments? Hi. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I just wanted to say uh, to everyone out there, uh, we should be very careful about allowing unsupervised uh, contact outside of school with, uh, in particular, white males, but in general, uh, adults, period, that you don't know very well. But even if you do know them, you have to be very careful about unsupervised contact, particularly with white males. And um, I just wanted to, to throw that out there and also encourage our children, like you were saying, Gus, to t- be able to talk to us about anything. You know, we have to become more comfortable with sexual topics. And a lot of people I know, you know, we can be very uh, gross and very, uh, what would you call it, explicit with other adults. But all of a sudden when we're around children, we act like sex is something that shouldn't be talked about. So uh, I think we have to become more comfortable with the conversation and maybe take it out of the gutter. Because I think a lot of the problem is, Sex, you know, we've been taught to put sex in the gutter through this Western society, and sex has almost become a hidden uh, perversion of, of secret, and I think that infects our children and makes them reluctant to talk about sexual contact because they've already been taught that there's something wrong with it, there's something dirty about it. So I think we have to make more of an effort to take sex out of the gutter, you know, through our behavior and through our attitudes and some of the, the entertainment that we watch that puts sex in the gutter and let our kids know that sex is normal and natural but this is not normal and natural, so they'll feel more comfortable talking about it. And uh, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks. Hello, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay, hang on, let me turn this right stand off. Um, hello? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, you, uh, Gus, said earlier that... Um, non-white people in this area of the world, you know, don't really um, care about or, like, don't really, um, like, uh, like they don't really talk about um, non-white people that are getting molested uh, by white people um, and that they're not, they're, and that the non-white people in this area of the world aren't really serious, you know. And I think that the uh, Dr. Kamal Kambon clip, um uh, that you've been playing um, really fits that. Do you think you can play it? If you give me a moment to uh, pull it up, absolutely. Okay. Oh, okay. Our people are very serious about not being very serious. Meanwhile, white people are very serious about playing hardball against us, and this hardball is called genocide. Thank you very much for playing that clip. It just—it's—it's it's a total hundred percent just fits that because non-white people, you know, they're just you know, hey, it's fine, you know, to get with white people, you know do this, do that in the bed and all that. I mean, you know, no, we need to be serious, you know, not just, you know, do that. 
and and a lot of normal people aren't serious. They're just, you know, they're, yeah. And that's all I had to say. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes, I I had um, commented earlier. I just wanted to clarify, and I do apologize if I came off the wrong way. I didn't want anybody to have the impression that I was just solely um, being rude to the guests. But I I think for me personally, my issue is is that I, I just don't I I just don't think that white people are as genuine in solving the issue, and I've just reached a firm conclusion of that. So even when you have um, guests and people on the show, I'm, I'm more than willing to listen to them, but I just feel that I, it, it's, it is what it is. But um, in no way was I trying to be disrespectful to anyone or anything and I just want to clarify that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think you were uh, discourteous uh, to the guest um, at all. I hope you know that you didn't take that impression. You didn't think I was um, somehow conveying uh, displeasure with your your question or your comments. I think the first part when you were just making your commentary, uh, I think I just stated that I didn't. I didn't hear a question. Just just clarify to make sure I didn't miss it and just to see if you wanted to make any statements about your series of comments about the clip with Don Lemon and Dr. James Cantor. But yeah, I didn't have any, I didn't think you were discourteous at all. I thought that was a valid question. And uh, yeah, I think your observation is accurate in terms of uh, white people uh, not really being sincerely concerned when non-white people are being terrorized, abused. It's not really that big a deal. Uh, not something that they're going to get that upset about, that engaged in, to go and solve that problem. So yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was discourteous, and uh, I don't even. I don't think you disagreed with your your question or or what you uh, suggested. I don't think you disagreed with you, the guest I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Thank you. Cool. Well, if everybody's good. We'll be back. I'll see if I can figure out what's uh, up with TalkShoe. You all can shoot them an email. That might be good um, to let them know there were massive difficulties uh, with the TalkShoe line. I don't know if other people out there made an effort to dial in on the TalkShoe line uh, to see if they could get through. I tried repeatedly. I even tried once the program actually started. I tried again, and it still didn't work. So, you know, uh, if you want to shoot them an email, uh, the folks that are supposed to be with uh, tech support uh, with TalkShoe and let them know you can give them the uh, the code for the program at TalkShoe. It's 97250-POUND. Uh, I don't know if you'll need the pound, but you can just say uh, the cows, uh, and then the, the program code is 97250. You can write that down. Maybe shoot them an email and see. I don't, I, as our caller just mentioned, I don't have high hopes that they will do anything, but that might be worth if you have, I don't know, five minutes to uh, articulate that. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow evening, that again, Monday evening, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We'll be ready to roll. Uh, Cabe Burnson joining us live to hear more details. Uh, same sad story. This will be us. We'll just have the same conversation over and over and over again. Uh, if we don't solve this problem, racism in Jasper, Texas, 
again, uh, we get to talk about James Byrd Jr. again, uh, and white people, Voltron, white supremacy in effect, as usual. Uh, but that'll be tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, thanks, everybody, for, oh, uh, person 9080, 9080, Mr. Fine. <laughs> Hi, uh, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Good evening, everyone. I just wanted to uh, make a quick comment uh, and just piggyback on what the uh, what the uh, lady just said a few moments ago that um, about this uh, white people not being serious about solving the problem of uh, pedophilia. I think any time that you have a, a, a society that has uh, an organization by the name of the North American Man Boy. Love Association, a pedophilia association, a pedophilia advocacy group, that speaks volumes to me about how much this country is not serious about uh, the problem of of child rape, the problem of pedophilia. So I I just wanted to make that that little quick comment, and I think that speaks volumes. Mhm. Mhm. Can check out their website, Nambla. I, James Cantor. He sounds very similar, in my view, mm-hmm. um, to a lot of the rhetoric that they have. You can visit their website too, if folks, if you are not familiar with them, uh, to check out uh, the Gay Manifesto. I know Bruce Fine had mailed that as well, uh, where they were talking about some of the things, some of the plans that they had in place, and this was written as a joke, uh, as satire, I believe. I think 909 is is fond of saying that. Uh, there's no such thing as satire. Frequently, mm-hmm. people, when they are quote unquote joking, that's when they're keeping it real and you are getting unadulterated truth. Uh, so, if you want to check that out as well, the Gay Manifesto. And I think in the 60s, there was also the so called gay rights movement. They also had a similar doctrine that kind of was written out to spell some of their objectives. And in there, some of it involved uh, decriminalizing uh, sexual. Really, pedophilia, decriminalize just to make it plain, decriminalizing pedophilia. And these were some of the goals that the people who say that they are with, quote unquote, gay rights, things that they wanted to do. So you can kind of see how all of that has evolved to get us where we are now with Jerry Sandusky and admitted homosexuals being on major network television saying, hey, I feel bad for Jerry Sandusky. Got him all handcuffed and going to jail. Man, that stinks. That kind of give you a time so you can put it in context. Mm-hmm. How we got and, here. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, guys. Just what you just said about the handcuffs. I, I I noticed maybe I'm looking too deep into it, but putting the handcuffs in front and 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 how they just had him march down, looking so sad and trying to get that sympathy image. I think when you put the handcuffs in front. It kind of conveys that this person isn't dangerous, um, you know, and and I and and it just goes it it goes along with the commentary that came after uh, he was uh, convicted and and marched off to jail. The sympathy, and I think that whole image of the handcuffs being in front showed that he's not a dangerous person, you know, yada yada yada. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
might even be worth the interest. I was confused at the time, so I can't really give um, my own thoughts because I didn't pay attention to it as much. I was confused. Uh, when Michael Jackson was on trial, might be interesting to do a comparison contrast to media reports and attention. The one thing I do remember talking about, and I, even in my super confused state, I recognized the racism. There was a paper, I was in California, so there was a paper in East Bay that came out the day before he was exonerated. But it came out and it had his his photograph next to Charles Manson. And the article wow. said that if Michael Jackson is convicted, he's going to be going to the same area of greater confinement prison. He's going to be going to the same prison as Charles Manson. And I looked at them. We were in the class and we were talking to students about this. And I was looking at the students and I was saying that, look at this. And we were talking about it on the day that he was exonerated. So it was, now look at this from the paper from yesterday. Now, what is wrong with this picture, this article that they've got? And the children were looking at it like, eh, Michael Jackson's crazy. And I just think he's a fruitcake and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, hang tight. Uh, Charles Manson is a convicted killer. Uh-huh. You've got his photograph next to Michael Jackson, who was exonerated. How are they contrasting these two people and saying, hey, they're going to be neighbors uh, when they huh. get locked? I mean, come on. And that's just, you know, when I was confused, but that's one thing I remember, which I suspect revealed a lot of interesting uh, just truth about the world in which we live and the racist media coverage. If you compare and contrast Sandusky's treatment with Michael Jackson's. I, I don't remember anyone coming out and saying they felt bad for Michael Jackson once he got uh, exonerated. I feel bad for him. He had to go through Great point. Out. I don't remember that, but I could be wrong. Unless uh, there are any other folks who have a question, comment, they want to get in last second or two. I don't, again, I don't encourage folks to purchase white people's books, you know, if you can help it, um, get it used, get it as cheap as possible. If, you know, you got to get it if you think it's good information. Game over, I do think it has good information in it. Um, that might even be one that you can check. I don't think it's very difficult. I don't think the words are big. I don't think it would be. I, it's not Yorugu. I put it like that. I don't think it's as big. I don't think it's as tough. Might be one uh, to check out. Um, they got an audio book too, so you know if you're into audio books, you can check that out. Uh, I thought it was very informative, a lot of great information, and uh, yeah, kind of and can dispel that as well. There were so many victims, black victims, white victims, all of the victims. He just seemed like it's just out he could get his hands on. Anywho, uh, we'll be back tomorrow in the evening. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, talk to you. Difficulties hopefully will not be in effect. But if they are, just have the 760 number. I'll give it again so you can write it down. Be sleeping in your phone. 760-569-7676. And it's 564-943-POUND. Uh, anyone want to do prayer uh, as we wrap things up? Uh, no takers. I can do it myself. All right. Written in. Uh, again, if folks want to write in their prayers, they can do so. No worries. Uh, to the creator of the universe, the one who is complete in every way, who is all-knowing and the giver of all things necessary to produce truth, justice, harmony, and balance in our lives, we humbly ask for your protection and guidance 
through a maze of deception, self-hatred, anti-blackness, exploitation, and white terror. We long for the spiritual connection of the Mahotic order, the oneness that only you can manifest. To pray for clarity of thought and understanding of universal spiritual principles. Open our mind's eyes so that we will no longer be angry. Reclaim our identity and self-respect stolen from us by years of oppression. We accept our responsibility to the universe to replace the current global system of white supremacy with a system of justice. O one who is black, brilliant midnight, Grant us this petition to report for our people in the hostile land. Context of white supremacy signing out. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.